At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Episode 152 of the Rise and Shine podcast. And let me tell you something. We've had 152 episodes. I would have to think about this. I don't want to offend anyone. I love all our guests. We only put guests on who we love, who I want to talk to and learn more about. But this might be my favorite booking. And then the execution of a guest that we've had in 152 episodes. Mel Kuyper Jr. Mel Kuyper is the featured guest on the Rise and Shine podcast. And honestly, you can color me obsessed because Mel Kuyper Jr. is a god to me. I'm 45, turning 46, NFL draft obsessed. So you think about my childhood and getting into the draft and, you know, watching it on ESPN and understanding what the draft and building a team and having a team get better, what it was all about. Mel Kuyper Jr. on TV giving strong, informed opinions. Mel's big board, you know, the, you know, has Mel Kuyper ever played football, ever put on a jockstrap references, you know, the whole, you know, Trent Dilfer, Trev Alberts, all everything Mel I have been obsessed with forever. So the fact that he's on the show and he is still the best in the absolute business and he continues to be a rock star all year round for ESPN I mean, we we geek out. It, it's great. Talking to Mel about his career, how he got into this. Great story about how he almost took a different path. His favorite hit, his favorite miss, if you will, in terms of breaking down prospects. Why a big board is better than a mock. We'll get into all the draft questions and topics and rankings, quarterback position, the defensive players, Jalen Carter, my guy, Bijan Robinson, who I think is going to be a superstar. You guys are going to absolutely love this. Mel Kuyper Jr. is the featured guest on the Rise and Shine podcast. And Bob, as we bring in Bob Stu, of course, our senior executive producer of the Rise and Shine podcast, we always talk about how April is the, one of the best months when it comes to doing what we do. And the NFL draft for me, even with the start of the baseball season and the Masters and the championship in college basketball and then the NHL postseason, which is amazing, the NBA postseason, which is amazing, everything stops for the NFL draft. And listen, I used to watch it forever on Saturdays and Sundays growing up. And then, you know, I hosted it for, for Sirius XM on Saturdays. You know, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Jolie Shine, our oldest, who on April 28th is turning 15, which is absolutely insane. Her birthday was literally decided and built around the 2008 NFL draft based upon when she was going to be born, I was hosting that weekend. That was the Matt Ryan, Joe Flacco draft. So she was born on a Monday, the 28th, as opposed to the 24th. I mean, everything stops with the draft. And, you know, I started thinking about the draft and how much I love it and great moments. And, you know, I, I used to just be obsessed with it. I used to get Kuiper's book sent to me as a kid, the Mel Kuiper, the blue book from his Mel Kuiper Jr. Draft Enterprises. I, I would, you know, study and consume everything that I could as a kid about the NFL draft. And I used to watch the draft growing up 
with my buddy Stone, my buddy Todd, you know, a group of friends all the time. It was our favorite thing to do. And I've referenced my buddy Stone before, often on, on the podcast. We have to, you know, fire him as the uh, co-owner of the, the fantasy team because he didn't know who Gabe Davis was, you know, and, and frankly, it was, it was time after one year. I mean, you know, if you don't know who Gabe Davis is, what, what, what are we doing here? And every year we watched the draft together. You know, grew up, I've known him since he was, he was five, and now we live in the same town, we live in the same building, and we lived in New York City. So there are a lot of great draft memories that, that you have. But there's no bigger moment, and my buddy Stone is a, a Jets fan, than in 1995. Oh, 19... No. <laughs> Bob's a Jets fan. Jets now, in the draft, a... Adam, is never good. It's just never good. It's never a good thing. <laughs> but this, this is my favorite. We're at, we're at my buddy Stone's house, and we're watching the draft. Our buddy Dave was there, too, and he's a big Jets fan. And my buddy Todd, Roach, we call him, uh, huge, huge. He's a big Giants fan, but a, just a insane, sick puppy when it comes to the draft. Like, he's talking draft and big boards, you know, like for, for years in advance. He's crazy. So this, this is our, our senior year of high school. We're watching the draft. And all Stone wants with that ninth overall pick is Warren Sapp. And remember, there were some character questions for Sapp. And, you know, he was so decorated, dominant Miami. Started to slip a little bit. Started to fall a little bit. You know, the Eagles took Mike Mamula, you know, with the one of the worst picks ever. When you think about, you know, the Combine Warrior did nothing at Boston College. That was terrible. So here it is, ninth overall. Ninth overall. And, and the Jets are going to take Warren Sapp. who's going to be a Hall of Famer. There, there's no doubt. And Mel Kuyper's up there. You got to take Warren Sapp. Got to take Warren Sapp. Got to take Warren Sapp. And with the ninth overall pick in the NFL draft, they take Kyle Brady blocking tight end out of Penn State. And I am literally, Bob, and I hate to laugh at your misery as well. No, nah, nah, I don't really hate it. It all happened. And I am in stitches, stitches laughing at the Jets' stupidity. ESPN is showing all the, the Jets fans. They're booing. They're crying. <laughs> and my buddy Stone, literally, this is a true story, he is, and he's like, you know, he's got his hands in like the ready position, you know, staring at the screen, close to the screen, waiting in anticipation to go nuts for Warren Sapp to be the pick. He literally is in this position with a, pun intended, a stone face for about seven, ten seconds in <laughs> stunned disbelief. Ugh. He had Kuiper's book in his hands, right? He takes it. He throws it across his living room, <laughs> knocks over family pictures, and screams over and over again. Still a reference. Well, every once in a while, just text or say to each other, just screams, you can't be doing it. 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 Literally 10 consecutive times, you can't be doing it. Oh, <laughs> life and the pure agony of oh. being a Jets fan. And Kuiper, to his credit, just destroyed the Jets, rightly so. Kyle Brady was okay, certainly not worthy of the ninth overall pick of the draft. And Warren Sapp, of course, Bob, became a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, the, the funniest thing about that YouTube video, because you can go back now, of course, and watch it, the fans are chanting, we want Sapp at Radio City Music Hall over and over, and the Jets pick Kyle Brady. I, I still can't get over it. I, it's, it's one of the funniest clips. Even as a Jets fan, I go back and just laugh because, you know, misery is company, Adam. It's, it's kind of you just expect it. You expect the Jets to mess up. I really, it's funny. I was thinking about some of these Jets drafts, Adam. I wanted the Jets to take Paxton Lynch in the worst way a few years ago. Needed a quarterback. He was coming out. Thank God they weren't employing me at the time. That was an absolute dud. A dud of a miss. 
It's been much better for my Jets in the draft, Adam. I'm feeling pretty good about Joe Douglas, although I did want Tristan Wirfs over Mackay Beckton, but, you know, you can't win them all. You can't win them all. And the Zach Wilson thing, we'll never discuss that again if we get Aaron Rodgers. It won't even matter. It won't even matter. We'll be just fine. All I'm thinking about is Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, and what the Jets are going to do coming up in this draft, Adam. So, yeah, we want sap. Oh, God. I, I hope we're well. I hope you we're can't be doing it. Do you can't be doing it. Oh, we were watching together, Stone and I, when they took Zach Wilson. I told them it was going to be. And he he always, you know, he tries to sell it, right? I'm like, Zach Wilson's going to be the biggest bust ever. He's going to be terrible. And. Yeah, you can mark the tape on that one. We were absolutely proven correct. As we move along, we're going to have a really fun text from Jack Shine, as per usual. I love the feedback on Twitter and on Instagram, at Adam Shine, on the conversation that Bob and I had on sickos when it comes to spoilers, when it comes to TV shows. Well, I'm all caught up, caught up on succession and on shrinking but I've got a problem with Bob Stew. Plus, my official review of Air, and trust me, you're going to want to hear it. But on the other side, you can be doing it. Mel Kiper Jr. on the Rise and Shine podcast. Coming up next. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. NFL fans, right now on the SXM app, hear in-depth coverage of your team with the Believe Podcast Network on Sirius XM. It's all the analysis, all the breakdowns that matter to you, hosted by the players who played for your team and the fans who eat, sleep, and breathe it. 32 diehard fan bases, 32 podcasts. The Believe Podcast Network on Sirius XM. B-L-E-A-V. Search Believe in, followed by your team on the SXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The featured guest this week on the Rise and Shine podcast. Honestly, I am so excited. I have been a fan of his since the mid-80s. He is my guy, ESPN NFL draft guru and superstar. First time I've ever had the opportunity to chop it up with him on the air. My guy, the great Mel Kuyper Jr. Mel, it is so good to see you. I love time to shine, man. You, you, the job you do and the, the way you do it, the energy, the knowledge is incredible. Like I guess I've been a fan. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. And everything you talk about, it's like you, you gravitate to that voice and that information. And, and uh, it's great jobs. So I'm honored to be with you, man. Oh, Mel, I appreciate it. And coming from you, that means the world. Because, you know, listen, I not to make you feel old or I feel old, but, you know, when I started getting into sports and sports TV in the NFL draft, there's Mel Kuyper Jr. And I I, I love the, the hair and the, the expertise and the bravado and the glasses and everything about it and how you don't take anything in terms of giving your opinions so I'm curious in terms of how you got into this. And I, you know, I remember talking to Ernie Acorsi years ago, who I had a relationship with, and he said, right. you know, he helped you along the way. You know, how did you know that there was an appetite for this? How did you become Mel Kuyper Jr. draft expert? You know, I really felt like, Adam, when I was started this in the late 70s, that there was no way for an NFL team to improve from year to year except the draft. There was no free agency. There were very few trades, if any. So 
and there was no access to information. If players were drafted, you didn't know anything about that player. So I felt like there was a vehicle there to try to get the information. There was ways to get it through the schools, through the big – I got the big satellite dish to watch the games, went to the schools for tapes of the players and got all the information, got all the due diligence to put it all together and make it available to the public. I thought that's something that they wanted. I remember Ernie, when it all started, he said, hey, they would crave – fans crave this type of information. They'll want it. This is something – he encouraged me to go ahead and make this into a business. So, And then, of course, Ernie offered me a position with the Baltimore Colts in 1983, which ironically, Adam, I accepted – but then Ernie knew after they traded John Elway without his knowledge, the team was there was talk about them maybe leaving town. He knew that he was probably going to be moving on. If he brings me in, then I'd be moving on. So I remember we talked that summer after the Elway trade, and Ernie said, "Hey, I said, what do you want me to do, Ernie?" He said, "Just keep doing what you're doing. No harm, no foul. Nobody knows I was ever going to bring you into this organization. You just keep doing what you're doing. You got a successful business." Adam, five months later. After Ernie thought enough about me as a friend to say, I'm not bringing you in. You keep doing what you're doing. I got a call from ESPN to come up and interview for the draft position. Had Ernie brought me in, I would have never been able to do that. I would have never been at ESPN. I would never have been with the Colts probably because they would have not brought me there after Ernie left. I don't know what I would be doing right now. So I credit an awful lot of where I am right now to a great friend of mine over the years, Ernie Acorsi, because without Ernie caring about a 22-year-old kid back in those days, uh, I would not be where I am right now. Man, I love that story on so many levels, including that Ernie was so great to me in my career when mm-hmm. I first started and graduated Syracuse and gave me advice and was always mm-hmm. gracious with his time. So, yep. man, Mel, I, I could relate to that, and I love that. And crazy to think you were that mm-hmm. close to being in the NFL with Baltimore, <laughs> with the Colts, with Ernie. That That is just wild. So what would mm-hmm. you say, because things change, sports media, bosses, what has been the secret to your sustained success at ESPN? That's a great question, Adam. Uh, I think just being who you are and, and don't worry about the critics and all the negativity and all the hate that's going to be out there because you know, everybody wants to criticize everybody. And I remember the early years, it was just being businesslike. I always took it seriously. So he never smiles and he never does that. I, I'm not, it's not, if you want comedy, it's not me. There's a comedy channel back in the day. I said, I'm just going to give you, I'm going to give you football information. I'm going to give you my opinions, right or wrong. I'm going to give them to you strongly and honestly. Um, I never considered any, I, I didn't do it. And I, I don't know how it came across, but I just was giving my opinion. And I, went, I did it decisively and strongly, um, but I always respected every opinion, certainly had great respect for everybody in the league uh, for what they did. Uh, I just always tried to be that 33rd team, just giving an independent opinion on every player and what the teams needed, what they were going to do, and just let the chips fall where they may. And I always take a great pride in, I think, rankings, Adam. Everybody gets into mock drafts. And, but the, how do you rate the players? Like, who are your guys that you rate a little higher than the league or you don't rate quite as high? Those are, I think, what I've always kind of gravitated to. And in terms of, of back then, I remember uh, when I walked into the ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut building, it was one building in Bristol, Connecticut, Adam, one small building in Bristol, right? So I go up there in, in 1984, in April of 84. The first person comes out of the building is Bob Lee. Shakes my hand. Chris Berman's right behind him. So Chris Berman and Bob Lee lead me into the ESPN studios. I go up there. I sit at a table. I said to Boomer, I said, what do you, what do I do here? Where's the, he's don't worry about the cameras. Just look at me. Just talk to me. Like we're having a conversation. I had done very little TV at that point, Adam, very little local TV in Baltimore. That's all I did. So this is 1984 draft. I'm sitting there with Boomer at a, at a table. Bob Lee's anchoring in Connecticut. They have George Grant, Paul Zimmerman, and uh, Howard Balzer are back in New York at the main set. We were the, another set in Connecticut, and that's how it all started at ESPN. Now, I remember after Ernie had said, just keep doing what you're doing, I got a call to come up and interview for the job at ESPN. And I remember that I came up to Bristol to interview now, okay? I, they put me in a room, and uh, there was, I put a, they put a chair in the middle of the room, had like five, six people kind of circling around me asking me questions about – 
What does this team's offensive line look like? What does this team's front office look like? Answered all these questions about the NFL. And then two weeks later, I got a call to come up and do that type of thing and be there for the draft in April. So that's how it all worked out in, in 84. And then I went from then and here we are now. I mean, I'm obsessed with this. Now, I'm glad you referenced the big board because, and believe me, we'll get to your mock draft. And, and that's, you know, I love mock drafts. But I'm more into rankings because I think that tells more to me as someone who's in sports media, talks to NFL people. I want to know your feeling on a guy. And, you know, where does Mel have a player? Is he in the top five? Is he in the top Mm -hmm. 20? Okay, I thought he'd be a really good first-round pick. Why does Mel have him in the 40s or the 50s? How much work do you put in on a year-in, year-out basis and then t- retooling it, reshaping it during the year, and then leading up to the actual draft. What goes in to Mel's big board? I'll tell you, Adam, it's, uh, that's a lot from a fre- – I try to go from the freshman year all the way through a player's career and just have somewhat of a rankings board. I always get on Todd's McShay, a Todd, 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 my good friend at ESPN. I get on his nerves because – during the draft on day three, Adam, I'll be handing you my board for 2024. Here are your guys <laughs> to help you with your way too early mock first round. And Todd, like, get this away from me. Get it away from me. We're not even through the sixth round yet. So I, you always try to start early and get an idea who the true freshman. I always, I'm a big high school guy, Adam. I love high school football. I love, awesome. the, 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 I love recruiting. I love to watch and see how the guys are ranked coming out of high school. So I start then. And then I, as the player progresses, I keep the, a little ratings board for those for that group of players that even aren't, aren't even draft eligible yet. And then through the year, like in August, is when we start to really get serious about during the summer is when I start to get serious about that first ratings board in August. And then each week, really, I tweak it based on what you're seeing, what you find out, you do your due diligence, you're watching all the players, and then you put it all together, and then you try to keep it updated. And then you finally get the computer numbers, the measurables, whether it be the combine or the pro day, and then you put all that together. So it's really a, a fluid situation, Adam, where every week from late August when the season starts all the way through till now, you're tweaking because you never feel perfect about it. And that's where this is the tough part, Adam, is when you know where players may go, yet you either like them as much or you don't like them as much. Do you try to put them in a range where you'll be safe rather than sorry, or you just stick to what you think? And I've always tried to go back to just stick to what you think. This isn't life or death. This is ranking players. You know, I'll give you a great story. Uh, Freddie Goodelli was producing the draft when Jeff George came out. And I had Jeff George on the ratings board, 84 overall. Freddie was putting up a top 40 board for the first day of the draft to say, here's Mel's top 40, right? Well, Jeff George was, I sent it. I never texted or email. I sent it to Freddie. Freddie said, no, I got your top 40. Where's Jeff George? He's not in. I said, Freddie, he's 84. He said, well, I can't put up the number one pick in the draft, not on your board. I'll look for it. I said, then put him 40. Okay. Then put him 40 on the 40 board. If it's 40, put him at 40. So things like that are, are, are wow. why you really have to, you really have to stick with your, if they look out of whack at them, then they look out of whack. Don't worry about it. Don't overthink it. And don't worry about what people say. Don't worry about where they're going to get drafted. Just rate the players based on what you see and what you know. Okay. Now I know this is going to span decades here, but with that said, do you have favorite calls whether it's film study, tape study, ranking on a big board, and then how the player eventually performed in the NFL, do you have favorite calls and predictions, rankings that you've made through the years? I tell you, you, you tend to, I guess, in the early years, Adam, have to do something right. <laughs> you know, to continue sure, on. of you course. Know, you got to do something right to get people's attention to say maybe he has some insider ability to do something or, or evaluate it. The first year in 84, I had Boomer Esaias. And remember, this is when the USFL was taking players, Adam. Right, where a lot right. of players. I remember I put two players on the cover of my 85 book because I figured I can't have a guy on the cover of my book that's in the USFL. So I put two in the cover of my book that year for the first time for that reason. But I think when you look at Boomer, I thought I had I watched them here in Maryland with the Terrapins. I love Boomer. And here the Cincinnati Bengals have three picks in the first round. 
figure they got to get Boomer, right? Well, they end up taking Ricky Hundley, linebacker out of Arizona at like eight. They took Pete Koch, defensive lineman out of Maryland, Boomer's teammate, at like 17. And they took Brian Blados, an offensive lineman out of North Carolina, like at 28 at the end of the first round. Then here we are in the second round. Boomer Science is not taken yet. I'm talking about it just about on every pick at him. It's like Boomer Science, the great team <laughs> thought they needed. Boomer Science finally goes to the Bengals with their fourth pick, which was a second round pick. We got Boomer on the phone. Chris Berman and I did with Bob Lee up in Connecticut, a little monitor, little box, audio box was in the middle of our desk. We interviewed Boomer, and I brought up Dan Fouts and all the quarterbacks and Johnny Unitas that were overlooked in the draft and, and said, Boomer, don't feel bad because Dan Fouts was a fourth-round pick, Johnny Unitas, all the players and quarterbacks that went late. And we had a conversation with, with him, and this is a funny story too, Adam. At the end of that draft, it was the second round. I'm doing the draft. We're all doing covering the draft at ESPN. We got towards the later portion of the second round. I think we left the draft. We signed off from the draft to go to like a tractor pull in 1984. <laughs> How about that, Adam? <laughs> Left the draft entirely. They signed off to go to a tractor pull. Left the NFL draft. Oh, my God. Imagine doing that nowadays. People will go nuts. I mean, the draft is a three-day holiday. I mean, and the yeah. anticipation leading up. Now, yeah. I reference yeah, real quick, fan- another one. Real quick, Adam. Another one was that I remember Rudy Marksky was covering. He was doing, like, radio sure. TV. Rudy was the one that started that. You know Rudy. Rudy Marsky did a phenomenal job. Uh, I knew Rudy. He always would call me about different things and, and, and different stuff for his articles. Well, I had, a, I, I had a little tip about something. I said, oh, Greg Bell. The Greg Bell running back Notre Dame could – and I thought it made sense Buffalo. And I said, well, they could trade down because we're talking about trade. They could still trade down and get – so I, I said on the air, I, I think Buffalo would be wise to trade down and then look at Greg Bell running back from Notre Dame. They traded down and they took Greg Bell running back from Notre Dame. Yes. So I got really lucky at him. Rudy Marks, you said, wow, this guy, this kid Kuiper must know something. And he wrote up a real positive article about me. And from then on, I guess that gave you a little bit of credibility. So really, the Boomer Esiason year and the Greg Bell year is what kind of catapulted from a credibility standpoint some of what I was doing. I mean, it's it's amazing. Now, when you look at your history, obviously, I mean, the hits are unbelievable. The track record's unbelievable. It's the NFL draft. No one could bat a thousand. What, give me one or two that you look back on through the years and you say, damn, what, what, what was I thinking evaluating this player and ranking him here? It's funny, Adam, you're being too kind because most of the articles I get are about all the misses. <laughs> I got a lot of misses, pal. And I, I, I read about them all. I hear about them a lot. There's a couple. The, the first one was that uh, was Andre Ware. I, I, and Andre's a good friend of mine. Now works in the, does a great job calling college football games. I thought Andre Ware was going to be a great NFL quarterback. I remember yeah. when he was drafted by the Detroit Lions to go to a run-and-shoot offense coming out of Houston Cougar program. It was like a perfect fit. It just didn't work out. He, you know, and Andre took a while to get into camp. Andre, uh, Rodney Pete was already established there with that team. Uh, and it just never worked out for Andre. Now, the big one was Jimmy Clausen, as you know, Adam. I like Jimmy Clausen. I like Clausen, too. Not, I did. I really did. Uh, Todd McShay did not, Adam, like Jimmy Clausen. I said I would retire if Jimmy Clausen wasn't successful. I tried, but they wouldn't let me. I, I guess I was forced retirement there because Jimmy didn't pan out. So, yeah, Jimmy Clausen, who McShay throws back at me all the time. Brady Quinn, I missed him. I thought Brady Quinn would be better than he was. I think Brady's holdout impacted Brady. I think if he would have reported yeah. on time, not that he would have necessarily been a star. I don't even consider that one a miss. I think that was circumstantial. But, Jimmy, I was with you. And I remember I, I was pumping my fist. I thought Clausen was going to be a starter of the league for 10 years. Uh, Adam, I tell you, I get, I get that. But McShay, well, I, th- I don't think I go through many weeks where Jimmy Clausen's name doesn't come out of McShay's <laughs> mouth. Uh, so, with all that as a backdrop, I'm fascinated by your latest mock draft and also mm-hmm. your quarterback rankings because we've mm-hmm. never seen quarterbacks go in the top four picks in the NFL draft before. So, this would be unprecedented. Now, Bryce Young, to me, is the guy – He's the number one quarterback as I see it in this draft. Mm-hmm. Do you? Where do you have him ranked? Do you think he will go number one to Carolina? I do think he will go number one to Carolina. 
I do have him ranked as the number one quarterback once he got over 195, which was the weight I put as like the that's the bar. That's where I set the bar at for weight. Now, whether he'll maintain that 204, Adams, debatable, probably not. But we he at least got over 195. I have Will Levis as my second highest rated quarterback. Now, that's the one that's very much mixed opinion. People are a lot of haters on Will Levis. Uh, a lot of people have questions about Will Levis. I'm hearing a lot of the same things I heard about Daniel Jones. Josh Allen, I know he's one of your favorites. One of my all-time favorites is Josh Allen. Uh, a lot of people were hating on him, as you know, before the draft, even after the draft. Really, until year three of Josh Allen's career, he finally silenced all the critics. It took a oh, while, yeah. but he finally did, right? Because uh, guess what, Adam? When people don't like somebody, they'll never like them until they're forced to not like them anymore and forced to like them. So that's what's happened with Josh. Daniel Jones, the same thing. Justin Herbert, to a certain extent. Justin Fields was being hated on as well. Uh, he dropped, and of course, John, uh, the Bears traded up from 20 to 11 to get him. The Bills traded up from 12 to 7 to get Josh. Will Levis may slide a bit. I haven't gone to the Colts at four. We'll see on that. Then I go CJ Stroud, three, Anthony Richardson, four, and then Hooker at five. Well, I want you to elaborate on Levis. And you referenced it. I love Josh Allen. You love Josh Allen. We've bonded mm -hmm. over that. You know, mm -hmm. I, I love Justin Herbert's in the draft. I mean, I was ahead of the curve. You were ahead of the curve mm -hmm. on, on him. I love mm -hmm. Justin Fields. I did not like Daniel Jones at all. So okay. go and I give you that as a backdrop because when I see you on TV screaming and explaining now how much you like Will Levis, and obviously a couple of years ago he was great. Last year, he didn't play well. I'm smart enough to know that doesn't necessarily mean anything when it comes to how he's going to do in the NFL explain to me, sell me a little bit, because I need some help on it, why you think Levis can be a dynamite NFL quarterback. Well, I don't want to sell him too hard at it. Don't, don't change your opinion, really. Don't change your opinion, because Will Levis, to me, you know, if he turns out to be really good, fine. If he doesn't, hey, he, I can see reasons why he wouldn't, and the reasons why is because of the turnovers. Now, Daniel Jones has turnovers issues with the Giants. Josh Allen had turnover issues. And they fixed them. And the title will say, well, it took a couple years and it took Brian Dabo. It took the, with the Bills, look, Brian Dabo within. I said, well, that's why you have Vinny Serrato always told me this. Uh, former GM in the NFL helped build that, built that Notre Dame championship team in 88 with Lou Holtz. Vinny always said, they have coached before their name for a reason because take a guy from college and coach him up. So for me, that's important, uh, certainly for these quarterbacks. But for Will Levis, he played in 2021 for Liam Cohen, who ended up leaving after that year to go to the Rams. New coordinator came in this year. But go back to 2021 when he had Wandale Robinson, he had Darian Kennard at tackle. He had Luke Fortner at center, who, by the way, had a great year with the Jaguars this year at center for that team. Then you think about the system fit him. They were using his legs. He had nine rushing touchdowns that year. That's as many as Anthony Richardson had this season. That's T.J. Stratt had zero rushing touchdowns the last two years. Bryce Young had seven the last two years. He had nine in one season in 2021. So Will came into the year with a lot of momentum. Now this year, he loses the offensive lineman, loses Wondell Robinson to the New York Giants in the NFL, doesn't have his running back the first four weeks, and he gets beat up early. He had a toe injury. He has a shoulder injury. His whole body was beat up at him. He couldn't move. The last eight games of the season, he had zero rushing touchdowns after having nine the previous year. He had a new coordinator. It took away some of the run option for Will Levis. There were games where he had miles to run, and he just stood there and just tried to throw the ball because he couldn't move. He had no ability to move. He did turn the ball over. The old Miss game was bad turnovers late because he's ultra-competitive like Josh. Sometimes Josh, early in his career, would battle and fumble. Remember the Houston game in the playoffs? Of when they course, went there? of course. He fumble yeah. in that game. But Josh had a turnover issue because he was ultra competitive. You can dial that back. I remember what sold me on Josh Allen after I knew I liked him, uh, Adam. I called Craig Bowl, head coach at Wyoming. And we were talking about Josh. Craig Bowl said one thing that resonated beyond everything else he said because he loved Josh. And I loved Josh at the time, but I needed an exclamation point. He said, Mel, he's the most competitive football player at any position I've ever coached in my life. Is wow. Josh Allen. And wow. you can see that when you watch him play for the Buffalo Bills. Will Levis, ultra competitive as well. He played <clears throat> for two different coordinators, had all the injuries he had to work through, and not being healthy from head to toe impacted the year he had. Now, is he perfect? Does he have to fix some things? Yes, he does. So I understand the volatility there. I understand why people have dropped his grade just a bit. I'm sticking with him. 
Jalen Carter was a stud in college. I think his game projects brilliantly mm-hmm. to the NFL mm-hmm. level. Obviously, mm-hmm. we're talking about major mm-hmm. issues off the field. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you show up and you're out of shape for what essence is a job interview, mm-hmm. that worries me. In your latest mock, you had him going to Seattle and Mel. I pump my fists because I, I want to see him succeed. I think he'd be great for Pete Carroll. I think that Pete would absolutely maximize him. Do you mm-hmm. think that is ultimately where he's going to go? And what do you see out of Carter as an NFL ball player? Well, as a football player, as a pure football player with the pads on at Georgia Adam two years ago, he was as good as any of those guys went in the first round. He was a key element that Georgia defense that won a national title. This year, he was a key element on that Georgia defense that won a national title. He was hurt early, had an ankle, had a knee. So when you look at him coming back from that and playing, when he really didn't have to, he still came back and played, played really well. <clears throat> so that's why I have I kept him at number one. Now you say, okay, the off-the-field concerns, the character issue, you have to factor that in. There's no question about that. It has to be a factor. How much of a factor? It pushes them down just a bit. Seattle was gashed against the run. They had no run defense at all. So they need a guy like Jalen Carter. If you're picking at five, you get the number one player on your board, that's what you're looking for if it happens. It's happening because of the character concern. So if they can reconcile all that and feel good about bringing him in, have a strong locker room, this is a neat area for a player that will immensely help that run defense. They have another pick at 20 where they can get an edge guy, maybe like Miles Murphy out of Clemson. So I mocked him to Seattle for that reason. Anthony Richardson, the quarterback, was gone. I had them getting back into the first round to get Hendon Hooker. So I did a lot of things with Seattle, Adam, in this mock draft. But I think uh, uh, Jalen Carter, I think, for Seattle would make sense for me. And I think Hooker's going in the first round. I think he's going to be a really good player. I love that in terms of Seattle. That went noted on your mock draft. Also, mm-hmm. Detroit with Will Anderson and then with Bijan Robinson. Mel, I'm obsessed with Robinson. And I, first of all, I'm in favor of the running back in the first round if he's special and if it's a cherry on top. I didn't like Najee Harris to Pittsburgh as an example. I would have traded down or taken an offensive lineman or defense. That didn't make sense. I thought Jonathan Taylor was a first rounder a few years ago. I thought DeAndre mm-hmm. Swift was a first rounder a few years ago. Robinson to me is special. Philadelphia, Buffalo, New England, Detroit. Mm-hmm. What are those teams getting aggressive, maybe trading up for them? What do you see as it plays out with Robinson in this draft? And where do you see him ultimately going? Uh, he's the he's the wild card, Adam. And my philosophy is not to draft a running back in the first. And I've given those reasons over the years. I just think that you can find good running backs from that point on, second round on. But I get what you're saying. You're going to get it's the only position in football, Adam, where you will get a rookie, and you can figure him to play as well as a rookie as will ever play in his career in the NFL. You can't say that about any other position. As long as they can block, as long as they can block, which he can do, you can play as well as a rookie. Now you say. Okay, where's he going to go? It's hard to find a spot that you really feel comfortable with. Detroit, they have Swift, as you mentioned. They have David Montgomery. Is he better? Yes. Will they? Will Dan Campbell go that route? That will certainly help that defense that was overmatched last year. They've improved that defense with the guys they added in the secondary. Aiden Hutchinson had a great rookie year. You add a Will Anderson Jr. Then you bring Bijan in to get that running game going, help golf, keep the defense off the field, shorten the game a bit. Then you got something going. So Robinson, to me, I'm with you. Tend to Philly. I just think Philly likes to go in the trenches to spend the money in the first round. If you got down to Buffalo or Dallas, I think you could write it in 10. But I don't necessarily think that'll happen. Uh, Dallas would be a perfect spot for him. Uh, I gave him to Detroit. I don't feel great about it, Adam. But mm-hmm. uh, McShay had him going there. I can see it now. Talk to people in the league. They think that's about where he'll go. Tampa Bay. Chargers with the Austin Eckler situation, asking for a trade. Uh, Somewhere in the first round, I just don't know where, Adam, right now. How about the wide receivers? Because there seems to be, and I'm fascinated to get your take on this, and I'm struggling a little bit in terms of a ranking of the receivers. I don't feel like there's a Jamar Chase in this draft. Maybe we don't even have a top 10 wide receiver, which is kind of fascinating. But I think we'll have a bevy that are picked from 11 on. Who are your top three receivers in this draft and why? It's good. It's a great question. It's not, there's no Jamar Chase. There's no Devontae Smith. There's not that super elite guy. What there is are a lot of decent receivers who are, have a chance to be better than that. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba 
could be really good. He had the hamstring, didn't play much this year, had the big year two years ago, had the great game against Utah in the Rose Bowl when uh, uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave didn't even play. <clears throat> yeah, he went out and had 15 catches and three touchdowns. Now you think about where we are right now with him. I have Houston at 12 looking at him. He would be paired up with C.J. Stroud. So when you look at that, that would be what Burrow and Chase, Smith and Hurts, Waddle and Tua have going on there. That synergy with quarterback in college, the receiver in college. So he would be one. Zay Flowers, Boston College would be two. Jordan Addison from USC would be three. All right, final question for you on this upcoming draft, Mel. You reference you have Stroud going number two. I know our friend Adam Schefter, your colleague, said, you know, not a guarantee that Houston stays at two or takes a quarterback at two. You know, Shefty's the best. That fascinated the hell out of me. You have Tennessee trading up to three, which I'm obsessed with. I would make that move if I'm the Titans in an absolute heartbeat. Do you see Houston and or Arizona trading out of two and three, respectively, and who's most likely, in your opinion, to trade up? I don't see Houston. I just think Stroud makes so much sense there, Adam. And if you get Smith and Jigba, you pair those two up. Arizona, that pick has been for sale. We know that. I can see them moving out. Tennessee, you have Tannehill there for the year. You develop Anthony Richardson. It would be a perfect scenario. I thought that's why Seattle would make sense for Richardson. So if if Arizona wants out, Tennessee had – had a visit with Anthony Richardson. We'll see what happens. That's the spot I think Arizona does move out. Mel, you are the best. I, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the nice words. I, I'm telling you, there's nothing like watching you all the time, but specifically Thursday, Friday, Saturday, ESPN <coughs> draft coverage. Then, of course, the draft grades. I always say, what kind of dope does draft grades right after the draft? <laughs> Mel Kuyper, Adam Shine, anyone who is into football, that's when you do draft grades. That's what I live for, the instant reaction. Seriously, you, you're, you're a pioneer. You, you created the buzz for this draft, why people are into it. So on behalf of... People my age and football fans everywhere, seriously, thank you. Because the interest level has never been higher in the NFL draft. And really, phenomenal career, continued success. And as always, we appreciate the time. It was a pleasure. You do an unbelievable job. You have the kind words I really appreciate. All the fans out there that follow this process, really, I'm losing my voice now. But uh, you think about where I'll be on draft day, Adam, I probably won't have a voice by then. But I really appreciate all the fan support over the years and certainly for you to do the job you're doing, promoting this stuff, being fans of the fan of the draft as well. It's been uh, huge. So I can't thank you enough. And like I said, uh, you don't have a bigger fan than me. Great job. Just keep it up, pal. Mel, you're the best. Mel Kuyper Jr. with us on the Rise and Shine podcast. It's time for the Shine Wine. I love a good Merlot. For my Shine Wine, I got a problem with Bob Stew. Really big problem with Bob Stew. So, first of all, I appreciated all the great feedback on what kind of sick puppy goes to social media and tries to destroy a spoiler for popular TV shows. It just, it's unacceptable. You know, you have to treat it like a normal conversation with friends. Hey, how are you all caught up on Succession? Are you all caught up on Ted Lasso? Let's talk about it, right? That, that's what a normal person does. Only a self-serving clown would do that on, on social media. So I'm all caught up that the, the episode number three of the fourth season, Connor's Wedding, is one of the greatest episodes of television, most riveting episodes of television I've ever seen. Again, see, I can have a conversation without spoiling anything. We're all done with shrinking the first season. And we were, I was tweeting with Bill Lawrence, who created it. You know I'm obsessed with Scrubs. You heard the John C. McGinley, the incredible podcast we did with him episodes ago. Shrinking is special. The writing, the acting, everything about it, it is one of the most special, poignant comedies. Those are the word choice that, I, that I'll use. It's special and poignant as a comedy. I mean, it's, it's tremendous. You, if you haven't seen it, you should definitely sit down and watch it. You're going to love it. My, my issue, though, is Bob Stew. You know, now he's got a, a young baby at home in addition to a, a young child. And, and uh, you know, I was trying to talk at work yesterday with, about succession with our guy Sam Garcia, who produces the radio show. Bob's the executive producer. And you know, Sam's all caught up, and I'm all caught up. And, Bob, why don't you tell America where you are when it comes to succession? Yeah, I'm on season one, episode one, Adam. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. 
Although, unfortunately, I just... Bob, Stu? It's funny. I yeah, The show's over. I, I walk upstairs today. I walk in to go see how my wife is doing with my brand new son. She's watching the show without me, Adam. She's on, like, episode three already. She said we're going to watch it together. She's watching episode three. That's so. unacceptable. That's unacceptable. unacceptable. It's, this is like a book club with her and I. She's going to watch some. I'm going to watch some. We'll meet up later and discuss what happened. I mean, you know, we're like two ships passing in the night at this point in terms of our succession watching. But look, I agree I'm part of the problem here. You have a cap on how long you have until someone can spoil something for you. I will admit that. I give everybody, like, about a month, right? If something aired, I'll give you a month to watch it, and if you don't, it gets spoiled. It's your own fault. So I'm really far behind. If you're going to start spoiling stuff for me, you in big league talking during the breaks, what can I do? I'm part of the problem, Adam. I'll admit it. I'm part of the issue here. I mean, four seasons, that's that's rough. Now, I, I know you getting to a movie theater is going to be tough, you know, with the two young kids at home. <laughs> but I have to tell you, the yeah, yeah that's not going to... I do love going to movies. I love that it's back, you know, obviously post-COVID. I love the act of going to a movie. It's great. We've talked about that on a podcast before. I love, you know, getting a, a an excessively large Diet Coke. I love the movie Popcorn. Oh, yeah. The oh, receipts yeah. that recline. Everything about Bob, you're going to love the air movie. You're going to love it. It's it's great. It's great. It's a great sports movie. Obviously, the high-end acting is incredible. Affleck's great. Damon's outstanding. Um, I, I thought Viola Davis was sensational in it. Jason Bateman was great. It is just, it's so well done. The story is great. You know, how Nike signed Michael Jordan I saw it with Katie. She loved it. The kids, they loved it. You know, it's an R-rated movie. And, you know, we made the conscious decision. I looked up why it was R-rated to take Theo to the movie. So there's a great scene with David Falk where it's all, you know, F this, fuck that, chop off your nuts and shove them down your throat. You know, there's no <laughs> sex scenes or kissing or anything like that. But, you know, so the movie's done. I know Theo loved it. He's talked about it nonstop and like parts he loved. And, you know, he's got his Jordan. So he knows, you know, now he knows the origin of it. And he's obsessed with sports history. But he's, we're literally walking out of the theater. He goes, how great was that scene with Michael Jordan's agent and talking about, you know, chopping off his nuts and, you know, <laughs> stuffing them down his throat. I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Parent of the year here. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> but but it, it is <laughs> such an oh, incredible. No. I remember, by the way, first R-rated movie that I saw in the theater was when my parents took me to see Bull Durham. Now, <laughs> Yeah. Think about now. That's a different kind. Of, I what the hell my yeah. parents were thinking there? I had absolutely. I did the research on this. I mean, you know, Theo's heard cursing before. He doesn't yeah. curse, but you know, you will love Damon and Affleck, Bateman, Viola Davis, that Chris Tucker, incredible. Trust me, you are gonna love Air. It is a fantastic, well done movie. And yeah, the eighties references, the eighties yeah. video. It's spot on, cool. the time and play, everything is outstanding. Yeah, I can just imagine Theo on the playground, his friends ask him, hey, how was there? And he, oh, no. I don't even, even want to better, know the review. Even better, he told me one of his friends saw it and asked him what he thought of the nuts scene. <laughs> So it wasn't even so, Theo, yeah. it was another kid. <laughs> it was topic of conversation. But I think the first, I was, it wasn't an R movie. My dad took me to see Jurassic Park when I was five. What parent <laughs> takes their kid, their five-year-old, At to go five. see Jurassic Park? He was like reading reviews in the New York Times. He's like, this movie's amazing, Steven Spielberg. Let's go. I'm a five-year-old kid. Yeah, I got Tyrannosaurus Rex killing poor uh, Newman from Seinfeld, and killing him when he's on the toilet. I go, this is, this is exactly exactly what a five-year-old needs to be seeing. So I, I feel it with the, I'm, I'm definitely going to check out air Adam. I don't know the last time I've been to a movie theater, even before I had children. I think it was to see the great Gatsby. I haven't been to the movies in years. Jesus, I, I just don't have the time. Bob. And it wasn't even yeah, but good. You gotta, you gotta make time for the movies. The, the, yeah, the act of being in a movie theater and seeing a movie is great. It, it really is. I, know. It really I love is. the movie popcorn. Just like you. And also, you're right. 
the fountain soda with ice is one of the most underrated drinks on planet Earth. It is so unbelievable. So I'm going to try. I I don't know. I don't know. Hey, I got to make I got to make some choices now, Adam. I only have a finite amount of time. It's either I go to a Devil's Rangers game or go to a movie. So this this is it. I get one thing a week here. I got to use my time wisely coming up. So maybe I'll catch air when it comes out on demand. I'm sure it'll be on the streaming service soon. I'm definitely going to watch it, though. It looks awesome. Trust me, you're absolutely going to love it. It's time for texts from Jack Shine. So it's important for context here on why this text is so great from Jack Shine. Jack Shine, love him, is a hypochondriac. Jack Shine is one of those who's always, you know, thinks that he's sick, right? That That's part of the charm, Bob, if you will, when when it comes to my dad. And we'll put the charm in, in air quotes, but... My, my dad's had this abdominal pain for a while, and it turned out he had a hernia, and it was, you know, needed surgery, and it was something real, right? You know, it was massive hernia, it was a long surgery, and, you know, it was something that he needed, right? Now, it was one of those, you know, had it last Friday, and, you know, surgery, the hernia surgery was successful, and, you know, we were curious to see if he was going to spend, you know, the night, you know, he's very, you know, I get it from him. Who moved my cheese wants to be home, you know, so waiting to see if he was going to spend the night in the hospital or have to go home. So he ends up going home, which is great. Now, there are people who will go home and then have to go back. And, you know, he the doctor cleared him and didn't need a catheter or anything ready to ready to resume normal operations. I spoke to him on Friday and, you know, after we text, obviously, when he was out, text from text shine, that's the whole hook. And, you know, he had the, you know, the tube down his throat, sounded scratchy. So first thing on Saturday morning, I, you know, I want to make sure my dad's okay, right? I wake up, to, before I can even check in with him, I wake up to this text from Jack Shine <laughs> all early on Saturday morning. My guy, Bob Raceman, has great peace <laughs> on my dude, Stephen A. Smith. A must read. <laughs> that, that not even twenty four hours later. That's that. Your laughter is even better than mine. That that's the text from Jack Shine. So in a related story, yes, Dad, who's listening, loves this segment. Feel well, feel better, love you. Jack Shine is doing just fine. Rise and Shine is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, please give a five-star rating, leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. SiriusXM Podcasts. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.